I am. Me too. Are you awake? No, not really. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh-huh. I don't have that same energy. Getting over a sickness. Had a cold all of last week. It sucked. Oof. Wasn't COVID. Wasn't COVID, so that's good. Yeah, that, that is good. Yeah. Uh, so today, uh, we're doing another seven-day replay. Nice. Welcome to those who are joining us. It is <clears throat> seven days to Rocketstone Guardians. Time to go. Another edition of the seven-day replay. Uh, in this case, we are rewatching The Expanse. Well, for me, it's the first time, really. Well, I mean, for both of us, it's the first time. I've never never watched The Expanse before, but uh, I'm excited on this one. The first episode yeah. was really good. When we read back the plot, it really wasn't. didn't seem like a whole lot happened, even though a lot happened last week. This well, it's week. very atmospheric, so like it wasn't a lot of necessarily like actions, but like establishing, you know, they were establishing what the world looks like characters, places, and backstory. Really, yeah, we were starting to get a gist of how each individual. Uh, what do you call it, group of people interacts with the other and how they sort of function. Although we don't really understand Mars at this point because it seems like Mars is at least the antagonist or the boogeyman for the Earth. And the Belters don't really care for either in this right. case. Well, but the, the Belters feel used by the planetary forces. It seems a lot like they're stuck in the middle, choosing between the lesser of two evils so right. far. So that's where that's where we're at. We'll go over a little bit of a recap of the last episode and where we left the major uh, plot carriers. Uh, but first, first, we're just going to do a quick 37 random as fuck facts <laughs> uh, about some television shows. I know we've done some movies before but let's do some television shows we got a few here <laughs> this one's really interesting uh, i know a lot of people are really fans of friends myself i don't get the jokes even in a nostal- i just couldn't get into it either even in a nostalgic way re- watching some of the episodes when it was on netflix is really left me wondering why anybody thought it was funny uh it felt forced it was real sitcom-y I did you the, hear the laugh track kevin aren't you gonna like laugh the only laugh, is the laugh track they're laughing the only redeeming quality about it was matthew perry and even he had a hard time dealing with the show considering apparently he was on drugs and alcohol for the latter <laughs> yeah, for the latter oh, i like joey i like joey funny i like him kind of. as a person remember when when they tried to turn him into the next big action star <laughs> briefly yeah yeah well, it was brief. It was one one movie. They put him in the Lost in Space remake in 1998. You know, that's a pretty good movie. That's a great movie. The problem is, is it just didn't work. Didn't work yeah. out for him, unfortunately. So anyway, friends. There apparently was a chance that Jennifer Aniston wasn't going to play Rachel when they had finished casting and were doing the... You know those pictures that they do, the posters that they do for like marketing materials for the show, where they put them in weird poses and send that stuff out, saying, "Hey, there's a new show coming out." All that jazz. You know that? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, 
Yes. Oh, Jesus Christ. The promo photos, man. The promo photos. So they do them all before they've even shot anything. They're the the beginnings of the photos. So apparently they didn't know whether or not she was going to play Rachel because she had another pilot that she was in that was in process of possibly being picked up. And she was going to end up taking that instead of Friends if it got picked up. So they asked her while they were doing the promo photos to step out of a bunch of them just in case they had to write her out of the show. It's a very random fact. Here's another fun one. It's about the Muppets. I mean, it makes sense, but you never would have thought about it unless somebody brought it up to you. Okay. Um, all of the all of the Muppets are left-handed, or at least most of them. I just cannot visualize that. It actually hurts my brain. <laughs> when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense because all of the most of the puppeteers, I should say, are all right-handed. So they're using their right hand to mouth flap, which means that they're holding the left hand, which looks as though the dominant hand for the puppet. Right. You never would have thought yeah. about it unless somebody brought it up to you. I certainly didn't until I read it. Yeah, no. It was random as fuck. That's very random. <laughs> let's uh, let's get our ta- let's get a take from Sean. Sean. Oh, let's see this. Interesting. That's a good take, Sean. Thank you. Thanks, Sean. Uh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Everybody loves Fresh Prince. Yeah, French Prince. Lately, it's not been so good for him. Uh, uh, well, the the revisit of it is fucking bizarre. Yeah. Uh, so earlier episodes of The Fresh Prince, because this was a big break for Will Smith, they were sort of betting on him becoming a big star. Good bet. He apparently learned the entire script, and in some of the takes you can actually that they used, you can see him mouthing other actors' lines. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch some episodes. They've got some examples here that I'll see if I can post. That's very funny. I find that to be very hilarious. I don't think this makes me look down on Ron Howard anymore, but there's a Happy Days one here, too, that I find very funny. Uh, Do you ever look down on Ron Howard? Ron Howard. Ron Howard accepted a role in the pilot for the show Happy Days to avoid the Vietnam War draft. According to Howard, he had a horrible draft number, 41 or 42, and because the government wasn't accepting college deferment anymore, he'd just been accepted into USC's School of Cinematic Arts. So he needed to find another way to go to school. So he took a work deferment by taking in the happy days. I mean, I would. I would 100% do that. 100%. I don't blame him. I really can't. Cannot blame him. Nope. Uh, Do you know... The first show to use the word Google as a verb on television. Is it NCIS? It is not, but I know. Criminal Minds? No, it's not a procedural at all. Oh. Is it a cartoon? It's not a cartoon, no. It is live action. Is it Friends? It's not fuck you, fuck you and your friends. God damn it. It's not you Friends. You said it wasn't a procedural. I mean, Friends is a procedural because it makes me feel like I'm going for a procedure. And not yeah, one that I like. exactly make it a procedural. <laughs> Feels like a procedural. Anyway, no, it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Really? It was the first show to use the word Google as a verb on television. Uh, Allison Hannigan actually was the one who said it. She said, have you Googled her yet? It's a search engine. During some random episode. 
How much do they pay for that? Probably nothing, because when Buffy the Vampire Slayer was out, it was like the 90s. Probably Google was brand new. Did you do a Google? Did you do a Google? Crazy. Very crazy. I think we're going to go for one more here. One more. Let's find a good one. Not Sex in the City, thank you. Pass on that. Pass. Pass. Hard pass. Mm-hmm. Big pass? Big waka pass. Waka. Hard pass. Uh, oh, Brady Bunch. There's a good one. The Brady Bunch. Do you remember the Brady Bunch? Do you remember watching it at all? Uh, a little bit. I didn't watch a lot of it. But so, episodes. So, so do me a favor. I'm going to send you this picture in the Discord. The podcast Discord. I want you to tell me what's wrong with that bathroom. Tell me what's wrong with the bathroom. Let's see. Let's see. We've got a door. That's good. We've got two <laughs> sinks. That's cluttered as fuck. I uh, got a towel. That's nice. I think that's a laundry chute, maybe. That's the bathtub. Uh, what are they shitting in the tub? Yeah, I think I think you understand what's at, what's wrong with this bathroom. I mean that this would be the definition of a washroom. Yep. No toilet. No toilet. So, for those who can't see it visually, go ahead and Google a picture of the Brady Bunch bathroom for the kids. Kids bathroom specifically. Uh, it doesn't have a toilet, and there's a very specific reason why. Uh, allegedly, network censors of the time did not want to show a toilet on television. So they cut it out. They said Those when you're... Those really bastards. Don't they know everybody poops? Everyone poops, but America. America doesn't poop. America. <laughs> There's some fun facts for you guys to get us get us going, get our blood pumping as we go into this. So this episode is called Big Empty. First season, second episode. Uh, written by Mark Fergus and Hawk Ostby. What a name. Yeah, that's cool. That's that is a, cool a good name. name. Uh, it was directed by Terry McDonough. Terry McDonough. McDonough? What's he done? <laughs> waka waka. Uh, what has he done? I, I don't know. I didn't look that up. I'm sorry. Uh, let's see. He did some of Killing Eve, which is a pretty great TV series. That is supposed to be very good, isn't it? Uh, he's done some Better Call Saul. Nice, nice. Uh, apparently, he's only done four episodes of uh, The Expanse. Well, we just happened to catch him on this one. Yeah. Uh, the original air date for this episode was December 15th, 2015. Do you know what was going on December 15th, 2015? Uh, Nothing really was going on. That's time. Uh, biggest thing from then was mayor the mayor of Flint, Michigan had declared a state of emergency over the contaminated water supply. Uh I believe that fucker went to jail. Uh I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. Get some movies that came out then that'll give you a better idea of what you were possibly doing because you're probably going to see some of these movies. Uh In the Heart of the Sea, speaking of Ron Howard, the director. Oh. That's a big no, though, for me. Yeah, In the Heart of the Sea, that's the one about Moby Dick. That's the Moby Dick movie uh, starring okay. Chris, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, I didn't see it. Uh, the Big Short also came out starring Steve mm-hmm. Carell. 
Christian Heard Bale. Heard of it, but I didn't see it. I've seen a bunch of stuff to watch it, but I never actually watched it. I should. It seems real. It's supposed to be funny. It's an Adam McKay movie, so... Yeah, okay. It's got to be good. Uh, and then three days later, Star Wars The Force Awakens came out. Well, I definitely saw that for oh, sure. Oh, yeah. We're definitely, I'm pretty certain that I saw that the Thursday midnight showing. Yeah. If I if I remember correctly. So, yeah. That's what was going on for the world of American film. Let's take a look at video games because we all care about the video games more than we care about that shit. Oh, for sure. I need the video games. Tell I, me. Why am I not scrolled all the way down? Damn it. All right. Here we go. Uh, King's Quest Chapter 2, Rubble Without a Cause. I don't know that one specifically. In King's Quest, the, like, old text-based game? Like, that's old. Uh, could be, but this one, it came out on the PS3, PS4. Yeah, maybe it's like a re-release of those games. Uh, it's possible. Final Fantasy VI for Windows. Grand Theft Auto, Liberty City Stories came out for the... Uh, um, iOS and Minecraft for the Wii U came out. Okay, so okay. some pretty big uh, names in gaming. Interesting. Obviously, like, mine... sounds like a lot of re-releases and ports. Yeah, yeah, for the most part. For the most part, and we're trying to get our outline here for this particular seven-day replay because we had one for Starcade, but I'm not quite following the same one. But let's let's get into this episode first of all what did you think of the episode overall um i think this one kind of backs off in some parts of some of the big things that they started off with and becomes a little bit more intimate especially uh for the uh belters i thought it was uh kind of like a nice rehash on some like space tropes that uh you see in basically you know, all all media that takes place in space. So, uh, like I, the, the happenings on the escape pod, the uh, mystery uh, on the Sirius station, and uh, honestly, I forgot what happened on Earth. Be completely not, honest. Not a lot happened on, on, the, on Earth. It was mostly, we got a sense of what's going on in Earth's government's mind from this episode, where the undersecretary... Our favorite, uh, our favorite lady, Shorey, was interrogating the courier guy again. This time, I, uh, I may have confused what happened when I was thinking about this episode for a while because I've been rewatching Grimm, and she just uh, showed up in that show. Oh, geez, that'll, that'll everywhere. That'll confuse the crap out of you a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, I think what I like so far about the show is that it's not throwing too much at you at once. I mean, yeah, it takes you a little bit to get into it, what's going on. Not like get into it, but get into understanding what's actually happening in the show. Yeah. You're starting like to understand premises. Yeah, you're starting like to understand in this episode that Earth is fighting a war. They don't they're not really it's like they're not considering the belters to be a problem even though there really should be it seems a lot more like their focus and attention is on mars and the fact that it's an independent military power and it seems like the belters are the ones who are either 
<clears throat> they're definitely against Earth, it seems like. But they may or may not be working for Mars. And we really haven't gotten a perspective on Mars so far. But in this, in this uh, episode, we're seeing a lot of intertwining of the storylines. We're seeing some uh, little tentacles reaching out, grabbing parts of the story from Miller's perspective, the detective who's searching for Julie Mao. Uh, the Canterbury's perspective, uh, in this case, actually, the knight's perspective, uh, is intertwined with uh, Julie Mao and also intertwined with Miller's story, as, as can be seen from early in the episode where the water rations take effect. Yeah. Once again, there's uh, everything's kind of loosely tied together right now. Yeah. They're sort of intertwining the stories, but in a very slow and direct way, which is nice. Not a lot of shows do that. They sort of either intertwine the story right away or just shove it in your face. Like here mm -hmm. as an after Or they like tease you with it and then jam it all into the last episode of the season. <sighs> Thanks, Game of Thrones. Which I hate so much. Yeah, it, it, yeah. So they're they're dropping seeds to intertwine the stories together, which is uh, which is good. Let's do a little bit of a recap of what happened in the previous episode. So Miller just started his investigation for uh, searching for Julie Mao. Uh, Holden and his crew were in the shuttle. The I guess it's called the Knight. Uh, they were in that shuttle, and they had just escaped uh, destruction. Unfortunately, there, the Canterbury itself did not, and it was destroyed. Um, the undersecretary, Christian Avasarala, was interrogating a belter, and that's pretty much what happened at, towards the end of that episode. So let's get into mm -hmm. to this episode specifically. We're going to start in space with Holden uh, having a bit of a flashback to the first time that he met. Is it Addy or a Ada? I can't. I don't really know how to pronounce her name. It's spelled A D. I, I think they called her Adi. 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 Adi makes more sense than Ada. And so she's apparently he's having a flashback, and it's pretty intense. And. She's he's woken up after she says there's something you should know, and then we wake up to space near Saturn in the night. Um, the debris field from the destroyed Canterbury is reaching the shuttle, and the uh, the shuttle's actually being thrown about by the debris. Uh, even though they're able to somewhat survive it, they can't quite outrun it, and it causes critical damage, um, specifically to the communications array as well as the out uh, the outer airlock door this is one of those reality checks when you're in space whereas in shows like Star Trek which I'm not bad mouthing Star Trek because they've gotten a lot better especially like Discovery and Picard feel a lot more realistic uh, Discovery more so however Discovery does a really good job of kind of bringing these crazy technologies into a space where like me as a non-scientist can kind of understand them. Yeah. They, they dumb it down for you, but not enough to make you feel stupid. The way discovery does is slightly different than Picard because discovery feels a lot more realistic, at least 
up until like the third, fourth season when they switched to. They are also kind of dealing with different technologies. Well, the Discovery one started in the 22nd century and ended up in the 30th century or the 31st century. Spoilers! That's not really a spoiler. It doesn't really change much of how things progress at all. But having said that, Picard takes place in the 24th century or the later half of the 24th century. After um, the events of Next Generation. After the events of Next Generation. So things seem slightly more advanced than they were at the end of Next Generation. But at the same time, it seems more realistic the way that they're going about it. Which is nice. But obviously, we're talking about early Star Treks where people would just beam down without spacesuits to unknown planets that just so happen to have oxygen. Well, you don't know what what else is in the air. God damn right. it. And the transporters just happen to have a filter well let's not uh forget that uh we don't breathe just oxygen oh oxygen, it's a combination yeah. of carbon monoxide oxygen nitrogen and other elements yes um majority of which is usually oxygen and nitrogen yep so they could be picking up anything and you're telling me that the ai is so goddamn good in the computer that it can determine a uh, foreign Perfect bacteria mix. that it's never seen before. Come on. Man. All right. All right. Well, let's, let's, let's anyway, that's what I like about the show. It's, it's more realistic overall because they don't have some nice deflector dish. They have this tiny piece of shit communications array that's easily damaged if it runs into something. Well, it, it seems to be an imagining of what's the next logical step of um, like space flight and commercial spaceflight versus um, what Star Trek is, which is like an idealist version of spacefaring um, global humanity. Exactly. This is what it should be, uh, or what it's going to actually look like. What for could least, happen more for the, realistically. Yeah, more realistically, what's going to happen in the next two to three hundred years, we hope. Uh, this is how we're going to get into space. Very, very difficultly, and we're going to be... With the purpose of perpetuating ourselves. Yeah, we're yeah. going to be working on it for a long time. But, that's where we are with them. Uh, Holden is obviously in a rage. He wants to go after the ship immediately. But Naomi turns off the ship and says, Why? We could get destroyed just by chasing after them, and we wouldn't. We may not even be able to catch up to them, which makes sense. I think she says something about it being Mars too, and how she doesn't want to mess with that. She thinks it's she thinks it's a Martian ship, and she doesn't want to get f- fucked over. Like we, let's deal with what we've got. We don't have enough fuel to chase after them. We're not fast enough to chase after them, and we'll just end up being further and further lost, and we won't be able to get back to any station. So they they basically figured out that they are. Low on fuel, they are. Uh, they have a broken communications array, and they have a ship out there that could tear them to pieces if they really wanted to. And Holden's idea is to go blazing in with very little fuel, probably really low on oxygen, and and just like what overtake the ship with six people. Yeah, that's obviously a ship of unknown size. Yeah, it's an obvious. 
emotional response, and that's what they were trying to portray to us. At least that's what I think they were trying to portray to us. After that, after they have their little argument, we go back to Sirius Station, where we meet Detective Miller again, who is taking a shower, uh, and he is... Uh, he runs out of water, because the water rationing has become a thing. It seems... Or I think I, it was hard to tell from the beginning, but it seems the reason that they're low on water and beginning to ration is because the Canterbury was supposed to drop off ice to turn into water. And What I took away from it is that people started blaming the like uh, government that controls Series Station um, for being heavy-handed. Yeah, but they end up uh, they end up find, we end up finding out that the Canterbury was supposed to have dropped off ice water at some point. Yeah, and the fact that they have been destroyed and there's no ice means there's no water, which means they had to ration. Um, so Miller ends up going to Julie's apartment to look for clues. Um, he finds messages from Julie's father, who threatens to sell the Razorback if she doesn't come back home. The Razorback, Julie, being Julie's uh, racing ship, uh, which Miller... is not the ship that was um, in the first episode. Yeah, here's something that I found very weird personally technologically wise that didn't quite make sense and you can you can obviously argue with me if you'd like was the fact that he had to use that translator thing in order to access all of her files like wouldn't wouldn't he have access like wouldn't there be a master key record or something where he can just access the records if he needs to um like as a as a as an IT professional I know f- full well I was just going to say, you're an IT guy. That there are times where the only thing you can do to get into someone's stuff is to just log in. Well, I suppose it's possible that they have a further, you know, updated security at that time, you know? I I don't think voice security is really the, the best way since it's real easy to get around. Yeah, you but to you're do comparing is for... it to, to current current technology yeah we're talking like you know at least 50 60 years in the future i I think it's better i guess it bothered me as an an it professional a little bit and if she's rich she can probably afford like the the best version of it whatever it just bothered me as as an it professional all over julie ends up telling his her father to sell the ship she's not going to let the family control her anymore miller ends up uh, seeing Julie's resolve and finding a, an appreciation for it. And then then he finds a hamster in an apartment. It's running on a wheel. He tells, the, <laughs> he tells the hamster, keep going and you'll get there. And then he notices that she still has water rations, so he ends up completing his shower in uh, another woman's apartment. Honestly, don't blame him. No, I can't blame him at all. Um, cut to Earth, where we see that the Undersecretary of the UN is chastising Avasarala for using the gravity torture against the belter. I put terrorist in quotes because we technically don't know what he was doing. Yeah, there's no... Um, just assuming like, he's a terrorist. Imaging, there wasn't a scene with him doing anything. He just first appeared being strung up on those hooks. Yeah, like he. it seems like he didn't get his rid of habeas corpus and they just sort of put him in the categorist, uh, or category of terrorist. So... He he tells her the Secretary General has expressly condemned that kind of treatment. Uh, Avasarala 
is demanding to talk to him again. If she wants to talk to him again, he says you have to put him in a tank. A tank being a giant pool of water where yeah. he doesn't have to worry about the effects of gravity as he's just floating in water. Uh, think about it as the tank that Luke's in. Uh, after, back to tank. Yeah, back to tank. Or um, Starship Troopers, the tank that Johnny Rico's in. Yeah, uh, it's it's not very large. It's pretty small, cylindrical thing that they put a full face mask on him and, and she talks to him through. She questions the belter. The ter- terrorist ends up talking to her, but he doesn't confirm that he's part of the OPA. I forgot what the OPA stands for. Do you? Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember if they said it. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to find it real quick. The OPA. Sis, he's not OPA. OPA operative, blah, 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 blah. I have no idea what the freaking OPA is. Ah, whatever. Anyway, it's apparently it's a terrorist group. At least to Earth, it's a terrorist group. That's all we really need. Um, he says he's not part of the OPA. He's just concerned for the future of his people and the belt. He says that the belters are exiles in space with no home with which to return. And he refuses to tell her where that stealth tech came from that he had. So this is him admitting that he had stealth technology with fur, which from what we understand, a belter should not have. There's only two powers in the solar system that have the capability to create stealth technology. And since she didn't do it and their government didn't do it, she's assuming that Mars actually did it, which is not good because as she described it, I believe she called it the Holy Grail of technology. Obviously create a huge rift and shift the balance of power. Oh, it would be a massive military like advantage. Oh yeah, for a ship to show up out of nowhere and destroy you before you even knew it was there. Uh, like you, uh, they they <clears> talked <throat> about it in the the first episode where the Canterbury was pinging. They said thirty million clicks, three and million, they I had think. nothing. Came back nothing. Yeah, three million clicks. They were keeping an eye on, and then all of a sudden, this ship shows up that they should have seen coming but didn't. And they were destroyed without any chance of getting away. It's crazy. It was was pretty cool. So, yeah. Back to the shuttle. Uh, Going over the damage of the shuttle, the crew discover that the radio is damaged beyond repair. Uh, They don't have enough oxygen to make it to any heavily heavily populated areas. And um, any ship will probably end up thinking that they are just trash or debris sitting out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, The only way to fix their problem is to fix the radio antenna, which is on the exterior of the ship. And that's when we find out that the airlock is broken. In order for them to do anything, they will end up having to vent what little oxygen they have. And then... So it has to to work. Yeah. Whatever they do out there has to work. Literally, they have like one or two chances to go outside and come back in before they run out of too much oxygen. Which is interesting, only in the fact that the solution they come up with is is kind of brilliant. They end up turning down the oxygen, or turning it off, in this case, inside the shuttle, and then getting oxygen suits and masks. Uh, they vent the air, or they vent the atmosphere into space as they're going out. They close the 
doors, and then everybody inside is just using those masks, essentially, mm -hmm. to breathe in what oxygen they have from the external uh, available. That's kind of a that's a brilliant move, honestly, in my my humble opinion. I wouldn't call it, it seems humble. like the only way to conserve at least some oxygen. It's the only way to get uh, to to keep oxygen from being you know let out because the oxygen they end up venting is probably minimal at that point since they've turned it off. Uh, back to Sarah's station. Miller and Havelock are called in to investigate a case regarding water thieves in the luxury section of Sarah's. Bastards. First of all, why would you have... Uh, as I recall, this guy said something about how the grass on all the green stuff is helping keep oxygen on the in the space station. This is the one thing that I find laughable. For most if you look it up, 70% of the oxygen that we have on the planet comes from the ocean. It specifically comes from algae, actually. Mm -hmm. So to say that trees are going to help us go through space is probably not the case. We're likely going to end up using algae to uh, to travel or recycle our, our oxygen while Almost in space. Almost certainly. Almost yeah. certainly. In fact, they've... they've there's a there's a movie called The Red Planet, which I find fun and exciting. Yeah, I like that one. Uh, didn't get didn't do real well to box office, but it's a good movie. Just watch it. It's, it's with, kind uh, of a B movie, but it's good. It's still good. It's still good to watch. It's fun. It's, it's a got, fun movie. It's got Fel Kilmer, and the premise of it is they're trying to terraform Mars, and they sent shitloads of algae to Mars to uh, help it terraform. So that lichen would grow, and then real plants would start to grow because Mars technically did have water on it. Uh, really does actually have water yeah, on it. it but does, this was it technically does have water on it. In, re in reality, it does have water on it. So yeah. this was the idea, and this is sort of the premise, and you kind of get the idea of why that's a good idea. Havelock ends up telling the dude if everyone on Ceres had views like his, maybe they would, uh, maybe they would respect it more. Da, 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 da. Not that really makes any difference to the story. Basically, they end up having to investigate this water thievery because of the water rationing, because they're wasting fucking water on plants. Almost as if it's a story taken from reality. Yes, we're wasting precious water. So, well, I think it's probably in reference to um, how Las Vegas and um, more affluent neighborhoods in California waste money on uh you know watering their grass yeah i think area uh i want to say the aquifer down yeah i say i want to say arizona or some one of those southwestern states was offering money to anybody who would uh get rid of their grass and go for turf or something desert like I don't really remember how they put it, but basically getting rid of all their grass and changing it out to something that requires less water or no like water the, at all. The natural plants that grow in a desert. Yeah, and uh, they were offering a good sum of money. Which well, was... a lot of those states uh, draw their water all out of the same source, the Colorado River, which uh, leads us back to the expanse, which is where why Earth wants <laughs> like that series ice so very badly. Uh, yes. Big problem, obviously, on Earth, where they still need water, too. So inside the shuttle, we're back to the shuttle. Inside the shuttle, they were doing wearing suits to provide oxygen. 
Alex ends up becoming hypoxic. And what does hypoxic mean, Hypoc- scientist Kevin? Hypoxic? Hypoxia is usually a lack of oxygen to the brain. Usually happens when you're ingesting too much carbon dioxide and not enough oxygen. Sean, let us know how good that was. Of course. I will now use AI to figure out what a weenus would look like on your penis. Just a dick on an elbow. Thanks, Sean. Dick. Amos and Holden are the ones fixing the radio. They end up managing to get it working. Uh, They end up coming back in, close the airlock, and restore the air inside the cabin. Alex ends up being okay. Shed passes out, Shed being the medic guy who was starting to lose his shit over the fact that they had to to breathe out of oxygen masks as opposed to in the open. Holden tries to save him. He finally gasps back to consciousness, and uh, Alex thanks Shed for saving his life. All in all, everybody's still alive. Back to Earth, Avasarala tells Aaron Wright that the terrorist will need to be sent to the Luna base for more questioning. Obviously, they mean Earth, Earth's moon, I should say. Obviously, it's been turned, probably turned into some sort of military outpost to keep an eye on Mars. She can't get him to talk. Aaron Wright marvels that Abasarala is two heartbeats from running the planet, but isn't accountable to anyone. I love the way that they he mentions two heartbeats. These people sort of like to talk in absolutes, wouldn't you say? They're like... Uh, it's, you know... They talk as if nobody matters, but they do. Like, only only a natural killer would say you're two heartbeats away from running the planet. Right. Someone uh, who... Christian Bale's uh, Psycho Killer would talk like that. Oh, that's such a good movie. American Psycho. Yes. American Psycho. What, what irony the fact that he is an American at all. And his accent <laughs> is... I'm not going to say terrible, but could be better. Um, she starts to mention that she thinks the OPA is trying to obtain stealth weapons, since the new, there's no way the OPA would be able to afford that those kind of weapons. She theorizes Mars is actually helping them. Aaron Wright doesn't believe her. He thinks Mars... He doesn't think Mars wants to heat up this Cold War. Abbasarala obviously mentions to keep an eye on every single Martian weapons facility and keep them under... Uh, he, he also makes that statement without offering any type of reasoning. He's just like, like, why wouldn't they? I think it's because they've been on top for so long. We don't know this yet, but I think this is where it's happening, or what's happening. And I could be wrong, because I've never seen this. at advantage over Earth. That Mars has, has come up with some technologies that are more advanced, and they are feeding misinformation to Earth. And Earth is underestimating the capabilities of the Martian military. I think that's probably what's going on. So guys like Aaron Wright are thinking there's no way Mars came up with something that we couldn't come up with. It's just not possible. Okay. Which is a sad state of affairs and, you know, in some ways could be true of what's happening and, you know, for real. There's probably technologies out there that... And that's pretty much what they're teasing now, so... Dense, 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 dense. Chicka, chicka, yeah. Sucks to be that guy. Oh, fuck! I, like, got behind enemy lines as walking, watching this guy shoot people, and then he, like, slowly turned around, and I just shotgunned him in the face. And then I turned the corner, and there's, like, ah! A seal dude just killed me. King of man. Owie. Oh, oh, I fell off the ground. I'm so good at the game. Thanks, Sean. She She's obviously scared that Mars has come up with something that makes shift the balance of power, and they're going to start making their move to uh, reheat the Cold War 
and put it to the test against Earth. Uh, back on the shuttle, radio's been fixed. Uh, it's still damaged, however, so it's not going to reach very far. Uh, feels like they wasted air for nothing. Holden has an idea to gather as much power as they can from the rest of the ship. So they get to work. The irony is that they will now be depending on someone to answer a distress signal, even though they themselves had to, you know, find a distress yeah. signal. That's the that's the irony. I don't know if you you're know what, getting You know what, one that. thing that kind of bothered me about that, like as we get into the end of this episode. What's that? They they didn't seem to to think, oh, gee, that Martian ship could just turn around and come and get us. Uh, yeah, I... It doesn't make a whole lot of sense that they don't. I mean, I guess you could write it off to, like, desperation. I mean, it, it seems to me like they they could have come back at any time if they really wanted to. But yeah, well, they didn't have a reason to come back until there was a signal. They just assumed that uh, they were out cold or, or destroyed as well. Back on series, Holden and Havelock are following the pipes to find who's been diverting the water. Um, they find a maintenance worker... Uh, who has an OPA tattoo. Miller's surprised that his boss lets him show his colors like that. The worker replies this boss has one too. They find where the pipes have been tapped, end up finding the thieves. Using a drone to follow the diverted pipe, they locate the thieves inside the warehouse. Thieves planning to sell the water to belters only. Miller and Havelock break in to confront them. Uh, they end up capturing the leader of this group. Miller is end up, ends up being surprised that it's just a kid because they thought the Grey Gus... I think it's Gracus. Is it Gracus? Usually run the territory. But this kid took too much water in this case. And the kid says they all the Gregas left Ceres. And they are attempting to take their place. Back on Earth, Avasarala receives a message that Bilter Terrorist killed himself on the way to Luna. He did it by avoiding the high-gravity medication during the flight. There's another bit of irony. It seems like this whole show is full of irony, or ironic situations. They were using gravity to torture him, and he used gravity to kill himself so that they couldn't torture him. <laughs> ah, that shouldn't be it, something... It does we feel like that. We shouldn't laugh at that. That's not funny. Smashed if you do, smashed if you don't. <laughs> Back in the night. The crew begin to reason about the events that have occurred. Naomi disassembles the transmitter they found on the Scopuli, determining that it's definitely Martian tech. The ship that blew up the Canterbury had to have a highly advanced stealth tech, so they're starting to put the pieces together on the shuttle that it seems like this was a trap to test out a new weapon. Uh, they probably lured them onto the Scopuli, ended up destroying the Canterbury, and then they end up getting the radio online with enough power for several hours, which they be transmitting a distress signal. Uh, back on Sirius, Miller is looking for the Razorback at the docks. He can't find it. Uh, the dockmaster, however, remembers Julie, um, saying she was harassed by someone in the docks, but she handled herself pretty good. Uh, Miller asks the dockmaster what ship she was tending to. He tells him it was the Scopuli, the same ship that Holden and the crew found at the distress signal. Oh my god, things are starting to intertwine quickly. Oh, shit. It's like a whip. It's starting to crack. That wasn't a very good metaphor, I'm sorry. Sean, what do you have to say about that? What is this? Yeah, it was terrible. Wow. Are you looking at Ryan's wish list? Oh, <laughs> ah, damn. Oh, shit, Sean. Thanks, Sean. The crew receives a pingback on the night from a ship in the area in response to their distress signal. They're starting to celebrate uh, because they think they've been saved. Alex realizes the ship that's responding is the flagship of the Martian Navy. Now, you see, here's where I, I need to, I, I may need some clarification because I didn't quite get it. 
Is the Canterbury a mercenary, not a mercenary, um, mercantile ship of some sort, like a merchant ship? Does it fall under the purview of Earth? Does it fall under the purview of Mars? Is Uh, there some sort of... From what I understand from the first episode, it's it's a ship that only hauls ice, as far as we know. Uh, and it was under contract with somebody, uh, presumably either Mars or Earth or the Belt, even. It's because it was seems, not seems a like member fact... of one of the factions. Well, it seems like it's definitely a merchant ship, but it follows distinct rules, which means it's probably under the purview of Earth's authority. Well, I mean, I think I think part of that was like. The, you have to follow this contract, be here at this time, arrive at this date, you know, with this cargo type of thing. Yeah. And that, like, since you've taken this contract, you have to do these things because you are under contract with us. Got it. Yeah, it seems it seems an awful lot like, at the, at the present moment, based on their uh, aversion to Martians and uh, Mars in general... That they are more sympathetic towards Earth or the Belters at this point. Probably Earth. Seems a lot more like Earth than the Belters. Uh, anyway. The... Uh, I don't know. The 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 guy we're following, the, the Exo, he said that he really had no care to go back to, I think, Montana is what they say. Okay, so they're definitely all, they're probably all from Earth then. If he said something like that. The name of this ship is called the Doniger. Um... What's that? The Donger? The Donger. Yeah. Donger. <laughs> <laughs> they ended up just telling the people who tried to kill them exactly where they are. So skip over to Cirrus Station. A uh, news report is playing about a missing ice hauler, in this case the Canterbury. Uh, turns out the destruction of Holden's ship was the cause of the delayed water shipment, which I described earlier because we watched the entire show and I knew exactly what was happening. Havelock enters a brothel, however. Nice. Uh, Miller is still investigating Julie's online accounts, going through dating profiles to find uh, one that she accepted, which could be a potential lead. Octavia shows up, asks how the investigation's going, and Miller says that Julie's no longer on Ceres. She boarded a ship called the Scopuli, which went dark right after takeoff and has vanished. Octavia mentions it seems to be the week for missing ships, obviously, because what's going on with Canterbury? Octavia notices the birthmark on Julie's picture and finds it odd that her parents didn't get it fixed. Miller says it's not a birthmark, it's a scar. She wanted to get it fixed because she thought of it as a badge of defiance. Octavia laughs and wonders about how wonders aloud how Miller could possibly know that. We see a look in Miller's eye that indicates he has come to feel something for Julie. Well, maybe because he showered yeah. inside of the same shower that she uses. Pervert. I have no idea why. That's a pretty pervy way to catch some feelings. Yeah. A very stalker feeling. Very stalker. Anyway. uh, Back on the night. Holden and the crew prepare for the Donger's arrival. Uh, They think think basically they're going to be killed as they're the only witnesses to this Mars attack. Holden rashly decides to broadcast a message to any ships inside the area describing their situation. He tells the entire system... They responded to a false distress signal transmitted by Martian tech, only to have a stealth ship destroy the 
Canterbury. Uh, they end up being captured, taken to the Doniger. Well, he does that without the uh, permission of his crewmates who just want to... Yeah, he like, just wait. does his own thing because he thinks it's the only way to keep them alive. It's like a bargaining chip, which I really don't understand why they would end up keeping them alive. Yeah. I mean, for me, I would do it just because, well, I'm going to die anyway, so... Uh, I mean, for all we know, the Martians could just leave them in space and pretend like they died of oxygen deprivation. It could. <laughs> they could blow them up so that everything's blown up. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really matter. The other crew members are in disbelief over what's just happened. They're terrified of the repercussions of telling the world Mars. I love that they say that, telling the world. Telling the system that Mars was to blame for the attack. Surely this might lead to war. <laughs> Amos threatens to shoot Holden uh, as long as Naomi gives the word, but she chooses not to. <laughs> the Doniger reaches the knight and pulls into his hold. The Martians break through the shuttle doors, guns drawn, and they announce that Holden and crew are now prisoners of the Martian Congressional Republic. And that, I believe, Ooh. is most of the uh, episode, right? Yeah. That is, that's the episode. I mean, overall, it started to ramp up really quickly. And now I'm more excited to see the Martian side of things. I don't know about you. Yes. Because so far we've only seen the belt and Earth's point of view. Now it's nice to know whether or not the person that we're worried about is actually Martian. I mean, they don't actually know that the Doniger was the one that was the one that destroyed everything. Right? Yep. Uh, they don't. They don't know for sure. It just seems likely at this point. Well, yeah, probably. It's not like they got a good look at the ship that show up out of nowhere. So, yeah, I, I, I'm excited. This is really starting to ramp up quick, and I'm really hoping it gets even crazier. So we'll find out on the next episode of the Seven Day Replay. Uh, rewatching the Expanse, season one, episode three. We hope to catch you then. Please stick around for uh, more fan conspiracy theories. I'm not really sure what we're going to do next at this moment in time, but catch some of the old ones. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Die Hard because Family Matters. The SpongeBob Seven Deadly Sins. Uh, and the Rugrats Aren't Real episode. Those are some yeah, really good ones. Really ruin your childhood on those. Yeah, we really were hoping to do something like that. Ruin the 90s childhood for all you uh, millennials out there, just like me. So, so tell us uh, you know, how many hours of uh, therapy you need afterwards. Uh, yes, but don't send us the bill. We're not going to pay it. Oh, yeah. No. 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 Uh, catch us on Twitter, Facebook, at 7 Days to RSG. Uh, Podchaser, you can review our podcast if you'd like. Or just keep listening on Spotify, <laughs> Google uh, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you else you get your podcasts. Until next time, we wish you seven days to rock and stone, Guardians. Rock and stone.